0: Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning, God's handiwork. How are we all today? I'm Natalie. If we haven't met before, I'm the Associate Vicar here. It's my privilege to unpack God's Word with you this morning. Uh, let me just make sure the tech plays nicely for me. Okay, Tom might need to help me. Could we have the first of the slides, please? Is that okay? Okay, we'll sort that in a minute. Have you, ah, fantastic, thank you very much. Have you ever bought somebody a birthday key or received one from somebody? If we have the next slide, they look a bit like this. They come in various designs and shapes. Anyone had one? Thanks, Tom. Amazing. Yes, no? No, oh my goodness. Oh, I've got one nod from the front. So, I don't know if many of you know about the origins of this symbol and what such a gift symbolises. Allegedly, it dates back to medieval times, when, at 21, young men of status were considered old enough to be key holders in their household and thus held a symbolic senior position in the family. A young person gifted with a key then gave them access, free access, and by virtue of that access, power. Now, obviously, times are a bit different today. It sounds as though none of you have had them, or only a few, um, but they're given at many different ages and many different stages of life to men, women, girls, boys, whatever. Sometimes they're given in a little presentation box, and sometimes on a chain or bracelet. But that is a really important symbol for our passage, and I'll explain that as we go go along. But first, let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come together today, unlock the wonder and generosity of your love for us. Help us to grasp hold of the reality that we are created free, free to do all that you have prepared for us to do releasing us the ability to live free in your love, we pray. Amen. So I wonder what around your house you use keys for. Keys can be used to lock people in, to lock them out. In the case of my jewellery box, it keeps some precious hand-me-downs through the family safe. But keys in Scripture have a specific meaning and role often. Often they're used... Um, as symbols of power and authority. And it's this power and authority that we see coming out and we see Christ holding in our passage. And he's living out that power and authority. So unlike the image of a 21-year-old's birthday, Old Testament use of keys had a slightly different meaning. They weren't given to a maturing adult they were often given to trusted stewards. They were given to trusted stewards by a master, so that the steward might take on all the day-to-day responsibilities on behalf of their master. In Revelation three verse seven, we read this. It's a requote from a passage in Isaiah. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Rather than a steward, Christ has become the one trusted with power and authority, and this is represented in the keys that he holds. These keys we read in Revelation 1 verse 18, open the door of judgment and that only the glorified Christ can hold them. It says this, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Christ risen is the only one who can give and gift new life. Christ risen is the only one who can give and gift new life, just as we see in our passage Now, misplaced keys. Whoever has misplaced keys? Oh, okay, a few more hands this time. Excellent. One of my husband's colleagues, who somebody in the congregation knows quite well, managed to leave his phone at home this week and also leave his bike lock keys at home. So that means he cycled all the way to work, locked up his bike, but then couldn't unlock his bike to go home and find his phone that he'd left at home hilarious i mean keys used incorrectly can cause all kinds of trouble they can even enable history to be rewritten and if you've ever been to the tower of london you might know about the key ceremony which apparently started in the mid 1300s during the reign of edward iii apparently the king turned up unannounced at the tower one night in December, and walked straight into the tower, unchallenged. Now, after imprisoning the constable of the tower, Edward Le Rebesh, for dereliction of duty, Edward III decreed that the castle should be locked at sunset and unlocked at sunrise. And over the years, this has been replaced by a very specific start time for the key ceremony, often seven minutes to ten each evening. And this continues even till today. Now, I don't know what became of that poor keeper of the tower, Dilabeche, after his imprisonment in the tower. I can't imagine in that era it was anything good. Was his new life beyond this incident anything like his old life? Did he ever manage to get out of the tower? And I wonder if when he was released, he ever held such high status in society. Was he allowed back as constable of the tower? Now, our passage starts by outlining the trouble each individual is in when our God, our King, looks at our lives. And it starts with death, which is really tricky. We don't like to think about death. We don't like to think about the things we do wrong, putting us in a state of death. This trouble, though, in our passage represents our old life, a passing status, one that can be overcome gloriously. However good we may think we are, whatever status or place we think we hold, in terms of truly being a God's kind of person, being qualified in our own merits to be welcomed into his heavenly household, we're not even close Verse 1 to 3 makes it clear in no uncertain terms. Verse 1, as for you, you were dead. We are all deserving of death, each for our own version of dereliction of duty. We may not have lost the keys, but we're certainly in a tricky place. Verse 3 says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, its desires and its thoughts, Like the rest, we were truly by nature deserving of death. We are locked on the outside and seemingly there is no way for us to find a better way of life. And I wonder if there's someone that you know who feels a bit locked on the outside of faith and doesn't know the love that Jesus has for them. Well, if that's you and the person that you know is a lady and is free on Thursday mornings, Don't forget about our Thursday Alpha course. And do please give them a personal invitation. Come along with them even better. Because that's a place where people can explore what the possibility of faith might look like. In chapter 2, verse 12, our exclusion, our being on the wrong side of these gates is restated in this way. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ. Excluded from shift citizenship in Israel. And foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope, without God in the world. We sung those words earlier, didn't we? However, this all changes in verse 4 with the small word, but. From the but onwards, we see what Christ unlocks. And why he unlocks our lives but let's start with a why. He says this, because of his great love for us, God. Because of his great love for us, God. God is the starting point. And the starting point is that God loves us. God loves us even when we're deserving of wrath. We don't have the privilege of holding keys to extract ourselves from the mess we get ourselves into, we don't merit access. We can't even be good enough or work hard enough or earn our way in. God, in his grace, knows that if we did that, we would just get ourselves in the hugest pickle by boasting about it. Because in verse 9, we're reminded not by works so that no one can boast. But a bit like a key at a birthday, out of pure love and as pure gift, Christ in his kindness unlocks and changes our lives from within. Verse 7 says this, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Unlike birthday keys, we don't have to reach a particular stage of maturity or a particular age. In fact, in grace, these keys are given even when we're not in the right place to receive them. So what happens when we accept the gift of this kindness and love, this key that changes everything, that is the person of Christ? Our status changes profoundly. Verse 6 says this, God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. A door that we have no power or ability to open is unlocked because of the rich mercy of God. We don't fix our own lives. We can only step towards the new life That Christ frees us for. And what does he free us for? Verse 10 explains what he frees us for. For we together, you and I, are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. For sure there are moments when the knowledge and reality of our life feels beautifully apparent just as that verse describes and it may be that there have been milestones along your life where you've really noticed your faith journey sail in that way but the reality check is that we don't live out in those high points day in day out or at least I hope I'm not the only person who's like that right please reassure me I wonder if sometimes it feels more like being an Old Testament steward that I mentioned earlier, where the day-to-day call of fulfilling the master's demands doesn't always feel easy. While our status and freedom before God makes us sat in a place next to Christ, sometimes our day-to-day situation doesn't feel like that. But God still brings us new freedoms and a new way of life. And it's not our day-to-day grind through life that gets us the continuation of God's grace that keeps us free. That's pure gift from God. The truth is that freedom is that we now have every single day of our lives to learn how to live in the beautiful freedom that Christ brings for us. We now have the rest of our lives every single day to learn how to live in God's beautiful freedom. And we choose that by choosing to step towards action, to step towards grace, to step towards those good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And there's one example of this in the Bible that I love. Simon Peter, the disciple and follower of Jesus, at one point when he's with his friend had a moment of really knowing who Jesus was. And it's described in this way in Matthew 16, verse 16. You are the Messiah, he says, the son of the living God. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah, the way, the key to being and living free before God. And what comes next for Peter as we read on? We see the good works that God has prepared for him in verses 18 and 19. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, you and I can't go back to that early time in church life and become one of those early church-building disciples, just as well, or we might be tempted to boast, right? But we can be God's handiwork today. We can be God's handiwork today, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We do have those good works to do. What will those good works be for you in this week, in this year, in this month and beyond? Might you be like Peter, part of building the church? There are so many ways you can be part of building up church life. You could serve the kids beyond welcome, Uh, Did you know that there are about 25 people who serve you on Welcome on Sunday mornings? 20, just 25 of you serve on Welcome. There's a whole bunch serving in kids' work this morning. What's your place? What's your space? How are you expressing God's love? You might do that day by day in your workplace by loving your colleagues. You might do that at school by being gracious to your friends. What is the good work that God has planned for you? If you're not sure, I encourage you to pray and find out that place in which God is unlocking something new in your life, taking that status of death and transferring it to a status of life and freedom. We have a beautiful promise from God in this passage to play our part in his good works. If you're not sure what your part is today, please do find one of us and pray that through. But part of stepping forward towards that love and, God, and gift of God starts with saying yes. And that yes starts for this Sunday at the communion table, where John will gather us around the table and we will just each one simply in our own hearts receive that gift once again of God's love and grace and kindness. So let's just hold ourselves as a minute of silence as John comes to serve us and we prepare ourselves to receive that true gift from God that brings us life in all its fullness and grace. Amen.